This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 40, live from the 2019 Turbo Expo in Phoenix, Arizona, we talk about CFD for turbo machinery with two leading experts, followed by a brief recap of news and events in the ANSYS and PADT worlds. Hi there, this is Eric Miller from PADT. And I'm recording this new episode for the PADT All Things Answers podcast from a wonderful Airbnb just a half mile due south of our office in Littleton, Colorado. Um, when I come to the office up here, when all of us come up to here, we usually stay in one of the corporate hotels nearby, uh, one of the chains. But um, I looked and found a fantastic Airbnb that's an old carriage house that's been turned into basically a one-bedroom apartment. It's fantastic. I could live here uh, quite comfortably. Uh, and it's the same price or a little bit less than the hotel. So um, there may be a little bit of background noise because I'm, I'm in a neighborhood. I'm inside, but I have the windows open because it's not 104 degrees like it is in Phoenix. So I'm very much enjoying myself. Um, and I hope uh, you enjoy this episode of the All Things Answers podcast recorded from uh, two different places. So I'm doing the uh, introduction and the news and events from here in Littleton, Colorado, where we have, like I said, like we, we have an office here. But last week, the annual ASME Turbo Expo was held in Phoenix, Arizona, PADT's hometown. Uh, the, the P in PADT stands for Phoenix. Um, and we had a booth there. Uh, we were sponsors for the welcome reception with a bunch of other people, as well as with ANSYS, we partnered up to throw in a party for all the users of ANSYS that were there uh, in town for the week. So it was a fantastic chance to meet old friends, to make new friends, and to be surrounded by people who just like to talk about turbo machinery, which was a lot of fun. It was a fantastic four days. Um, as part of that event, we recorded an interview for this podcast uh, with two power users that were kind enough to give us uh, about 45 minutes to an hour of their time uh, to talk about the ANSYS CFD product suite and how it's used in turbo machinery, how that's changed over time and what the future might be. So uh, really focused on CFD simulation of the rotating bits of a turbine engine. Even if you don't do turbo machinery, uh, this is a great discussion with two people that really, really understand the tool. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. That's going to be the bulk of our podcast. All the other stuff I'm going to cut short. Um, to that end, uh, podcast-wise, we've had 11,665 downloads, over 39 episodes, so we're holding steady at, at 300. Um, and basically, I already kind of did a preamble on this. We, I, On Wednesday last week, Robin Steed, who works for ANSYS Inc., and Chris Robinson, who works for a, a consulting company called PCA Engineering that designs turbo machinery for folks and also has some of their own code for preliminary design. Um, we got together at our booth there uh, down in the basement of the convention center and started wandering around, laptop and microphone in hand, trying to find a room where we could talk. Um, and we, we ended up crashing a Homeland Security conference, which was a little scary. There were a lot of people wearing a lot of body armor and uh, weapons uh, wandering around the hallways up on the top floor of the convention center. But we just kept going until we found a room in the back corner on the very top floor uh, that nobody was using. So it was, it's big enough to hold around 1,000 people, but we sat in the corner at a big table, put the microphone in the middle, and had a great conversation. Um, these guys, Robin and Chris, as you'll learn, they'll explain their background to you in the beginning of the recording, but they're true power users. And Robin works for ANSYS uh, and helps with development, so he really knows the code literally inside and out. 
Um, and uh, it was just really great to have that extra insight. And, and, and Chris has been using it for a very long time and designed a lot of hardware with ANSYS CFD. So please join us as we nerd out about modeling the fluid flow of turbine engines with ANSYS CFD products. So I want to welcome you to our little discussion here. We're at the uh, 2019 Turbo Expo, right? Um, and here, which fortunately is here in Phoenix this year, so we were able to attend. PADT has a booth here, and we were one of the sponsors, and we're really excited. So we thought it'd be a great opportunity to get some people who work with turbo machinery and simulation to talk. And so I'm going to actually let my two guests introduce themselves so I don't butcher it. So I'll go ahead and start with you. I'm Robin Steed, and uh, I'm with Antis. Um, and uh, I'm the lead experience designer on the CFX and Turbo Tools development team. Very good. And you're based out of where? Out of Waterloo. Waterloo, yeah. which is in Canada. Canada. Yeah. Yes. Yourself? I'm Chris Robinson, Managing Director of PCA Engineers, uh, based in the UK. We are a consultancy. We do design and apl application of CFD to all kinds of turbo machinery products. Excellent. And of course, I'm Eric Miller, which all of you who are listening should know. I'm tired of my voice. So um, let's, let's start at the beginning. I always like to ask, uh, either of you can go first, how did you become a simulation engineer? How did you choose this path as a career? Um, I started, I was with Rolls-Royce okay. uh, for the first part of my career, and we used to use uh, time marching tools mm -hmm. in the really in the late 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my first exposure was using inviscid time marching codes and beginning to apply those to aero engine components, particularly the fan and compressor. Uh -huh. So that, that, that's how I started out. Okay. So I've been at this quite a long time. You beat me. Yeah. How about you, Robin? How did you start? Um, I started out uh, with a, a company near Waterloo um, that did wind engineering. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, it would simulate sort of uh, how the wind you know, sort of traveled between buildings and say the okay. city and you know the uh, sort of pedestrian comfort and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. or within stadiums mm -hmm. and such. Uh, but then shortly after that, I I, uh, I joined ASC in Waterloo, mm -hmm. um, which was or CFX right uh, in Waterloo. And that was just prior to the ANSYS acquisition back okay. in two thousand. So you had no idea what you're getting yourself into. You were going to join this small little company in Waterloo, yeah? Yep. yep. <laughs> Very cool. So what's the what's the biggest surprise in your careers? Um, and and I'll, I'll actually start when I when I when I talk about it. But let's talk about CFD for turbine engines. You know, really, what's your biggest surprise and what we can do now that maybe you didn't expect back then? And for me, it's the um, advanced blade row stuff. The ability, because I'm a I'm a structural guy, right? So mm -hmm. I always wanted to know what those forcing functions were and how you know they really care about. Are these blades going to really get excited? Do I really need to change the thickness in order to get rid of that? And the fact that we can do that now, I actually didn't think we'd be able to figure out. Um, and I think it's pretty cool that we can do that now. So how about you guys? What's, what's your big surprise? Well, you took mine. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, the, uh, I mean, when I started out, the uh, I mean, computing power is much less than it is today. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, just running steady state mm -hmm. you know, was, was sort of challenging. But... Uh, um, you know, to see, uh, wait, I don't know, you might call it the democratization of transient. Good um, point. Is, uh, you know, essentially due to the things like the advanced blade row capabilities, um, really it, it sort of transformed 
um, the the analysis because it, it really pushes things to a whole other level of mm -hmm. detail. Um, and particularly things like the harmonic analysis, which really kind of blows your mind how, yeah. how it works and what the, it can the, do. The math is beyond me, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the high-end stuff is really impressive. Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're very interested in fluid structure interaction. It's a big deal for us. But I think the thing that's changed most dramatically in my mm -hmm. lifespan has been the way that you can add detail to the calculations. You started out in, in the 80s and the early 90s, one row mm -hmm. on its own, probably stationary, right. maybe without a clearance gap. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can add a second row, suddenly have a stage, and there's a stage interface. Now you can build up whole machines, you can model secondary flow paths, you can add combustors, turbines, and do the whole job. It, we're predominantly interested in steady state when mm -hmm. we're doing designs, but mm -hmm. the ability for the code to run off design is, is quite amazing, and on relatively cheap, available computers, you know, in... The early days, it was a cray. Yeah, yeah. So we used to send jobs down to the Bracknell in the UK, which was the weather forecasting station. Ah. But nowadays, you have that sort of power in a laptop, mm -hmm. and with multiple processors, you have a huge amount of, of computing resource at incredibly low cost. Yeah, from a hardware standpoint, these multi-core and CFD for turbo machinery, these multi-core machines have been fantastic you know i think they designed them so they can put 15 virtual machines or 20 virtual machines in one box and at amazon yeah. uh, but but boy it's great for cfd it's really wonderful to scale these problems up so you know the biggest problem that i think we faced at, at padt and when i worked in my previous career at what's now honeywell was always meshing of turbo machinery so i know you guys are more on the numerical side but is, is meshing still the real problem that it was in the past? Have we really kind of yeah. gotten over the hump on that, or is it still still the bottleneck? Meshing always is a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, uh, I mean, there, there's, there's a wide variety of tools to be able to deal with it now, but mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the challenges of meshing really depend on, on what it is that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so while we have, you know, we have meshing tools for doing sort of large unstructured meshes mm -hmm. on sort of very geometry and stuff. But when it comes to turbo machinery, um, still the workhorse is things like, say, turbo grid right. and structured meshes because the passages lend themselves well to it. But but even more so, um, most of the work, is, design work is done at a um, at a coarse level of the mesh. Right. And it's only with, an, with a structured mesh, um, you can ensure that say, as you're looking at a variety of designs, mm -hmm. that the meshes are identical between those designs. It's just the, essentially the, the, the shape changes mm -hmm. as, the, as the blade changes, but the, the mesh stays the same. The topology the is topology, always the same. same number of nodes. And that's really important if you're at a coarse grid level, because if you put a new mesh in there, ah. you're introducing error that could be greater mm -hmm. than the thing that you're you trying changed. to evaluate. You change that lean just a little bit on the blade, or it could be a new mesh. Yeah. So you don't know if the change is because of your, the difference is because of your mesh, mm -hmm. or because of the change you're mm -hmm. interested in. And uh, so while the absolute answer may be wrong, mm -hmm. they may be off because because you're at a coarse grid level. The relative answer or the relative error is uh, due to the mesh is very low, and mm -hmm. um, and so it's very difficult to do that with an unstructured good, good point mesh. Because in the other 
physics or the other industries we work in, we just throw a, a big old poly mesh on it and we're happy and just can be, but you guys still yeah. use structured meshes, right? Yeah, we, we again in the in the early days, mm -hmm. uh, we were used to taking actually months to generate right, meshes. Right. Um, I remember one guy, John Moore, is quite a famous guy in CFD. Mm -hmm. uh, we I was ex presenting some work to him as a young engineer, and he, he sort of stood back a bit at the end and he said, "Well." How do you tell these grandchildren, well, son, what do you do with the war? Well, I generated meshes. It was literally a career <laughs> yes. in mesh generation. And then the solution part, if you were good at good mesh, was, was a little problem. But then tools like TurboGrid have been amazingly mm -hmm. revolutionary, I would say, in, in our experience. As Robin said, the ability to use a, a relatively coarse mesh and have many iterations of blade design, that's, that's critical in our industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think the other thing that's made a, a, an impact for us is the way that you can add meshes and that you don't have to have overlap. Uh, Good point. Non-overlapping meshes, mm -hmm. non-overlapping topologies even, I mm -hmm. suppose. And that means you can introduce features which are critically important if you're looking to try to predict efficiencies to within a couple of percent. Then you have to see all of the features that are really there in the geometry. So meshing for us is, is critical. And I think... As far as the user experience goes, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a huge deal. And and for those who are listening who aren't in the... I always forget because our company is so heavy in the turbo area that I forget there's people who've never worked on jet engines before. But um, the thing about a jet engine is efficiency, right? It's it's You've got these spinning compressors that compress the air. You shoot it into um, a combustor, you light it on fire, and you take all that energy out of it uh, on the turbine side, and then another turbine is actually driving the fan, the propeller that's moving the aircraft forward, or a shaft, if you've got a shaft drive turbine engine. And just a few percent, if you think about an aircraft, just a few percentage points in efficiency by tweaking the thickness of that compressor blade on the third stage is is you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for each aircraft in operating costs. So people really care about this stuff. So that's why I think CFD has been such an important part of jet engine design very early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's allowed a lot of numerical, um, numerical experimentation mm -hmm. and it's shortened the design time right. tremendously. Yeah. Uh, so, And not just in jet engines, across mm -hmm. a whole range of industries. Right, right. Um, Oh, jet engine is a good example of a usually a very well ordered flow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, periodicity is, yes. is often fine. Yes. But um, the ability to apply CFD in areas where you don't necessarily have that that degree of comfort mm -hmm. and you have to work and trust the numerics mm -hmm. um, is yeah. I think that's one of the major changes that I've seen over over the few last few years. Yeah, it's definitely more. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things, sort of adding to what you're saying about jet engines or, or um, turbofans, gas turbines mm -hmm. in in aero applications, is that a small fraction of percent in in efficiency has a huge impact because it means you need less fuel. That's right. And for for the, you know if you um, for all the fuel. Uh, that you carry, you mm -hmm. need to carry fuel to carry that it's, fuel. It's, it's a recursive, yeah. yeah. So, so it, it has a sort of nonlinear effect, mm -hmm. and and, um, and I mean that really goes beyond the CFD too, because mm -hmm. it's um, 
it's you know, all the other analysis tools and the structural side, yes. which is really there just to push the air. Right. That's, that was my <laughs> job was to spin the blade properly and yeah. hold it in the right place. But being able to make, <laughs> be able to make those lighter mm -hmm. has a huge impact yeah. as well and, and so on. So they really compound. But, but it's also a testament to um, how accurate these tools are because um, at this point, you know, they're fighting over fractions of a percent. Right. And so the, the analysis tools have to be accurate to that level mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and the methodologies and so on um, in, in order to make those gains. And I think, um, you know, in terms of, of sort of the next level, right, that you know, sort of as things progress, you kind of reach the limit mm -hmm. of, what, um, of what you can improve by, say, just looking at the aerodynamics. And you have to now start to include the interactions with the other parts. So that's why the transients are import more important because yeah. you can only get so far with a stage interface, right? Which is still, you know, the workhorse. But uh, you start you have to start considering the blade oil interaction. But you have to actually consider how the blades themselves are reacting with mm -hmm. the flow and, mm -hmm. and so on. And it does get in there. So, so one of the things, if you've not worked on these kind of rotating machinery before, is that we have different numbers of blades per stage, and we want to model say the compressor, which may have, say, three stages, um, they all have different blade counts. And so we only want to model one, one row in each one, but how do you do the math? And it's a very fancy math to connect it together, but we can do that now, yeah. which is really exciting. Uh, change, change for us. Um, what's the, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit, actually, because we're talking about kind of this high-end stuff, but I know at PADT when we designed custom blowers, which is a very low-end version of a, of a turbo machinery, we use a lot of preliminary design tools. So what, what is, and I haven't looked at it in a while, what is the state of the art for these you know, first pass, are they still streamlined tools? Are we doing CFD? What are we doing for the early stage simulation to kind of get how many blades and how many rows and things like that? Yeah, we, we still, uh, well, we support ANSYS with some 1D tools okay. in Workbench, and, and they're, they're an important part of the design process. If, if you make a mistake in the 1D at the mm -hmm. beginning of the process, then mm -hmm. you can never recover it, with, no matter how hard you try with the CFD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so with radial machinery, we tend to go uh, fairly quickly through the process, but 1D is important because it gives you the opportunity to bring in your background knowledge. So. Okay. The empirical, empirical formulae within those tools capture okay. 40 years of experience. Yeah. Um, so you know how to pitch a design to get the best out of it. Mm -hmm. And then similarly, you could go on from that one point, the design point, to look at the map. Mm -hmm. Again, with 1D, 1D tools that run very quickly. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to feel your way around the whole design space. Okay. Then 2D is still an important part of shortening the design process. You know, we, we use 2D. Um, both in three-dimensional three wheels yes. that collapsed into 2D okay. because it, it's a very quick solution. There's only maybe 150 nodes. That's mm -hmm. one of the time-efficient parts of it. The other is there's terms missing in the equations, but with experience, you know how to use those. Okay. For the large axial machines with multiple stages, then 2D is still an important part of setting up the problem. Um, Quite difficult to do that entirely in 3D, mm -hmm. even with today's computing mm -hmm. power. So even the bigger companies mm -hmm. um, in the aero engine and power generation will still have at the core of the design process a 2D tool. So 2D tool. So they're still critical, mm -hmm. still important. In fact, with the, the large aero engines, you have a large axial compressor, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, 
the uh, the throughflow solution for that, so the 2D solution, mm-hmm. um, really defines the, the yeah. target for the okay. CFD. So when, when designers work on individual components, what they're doing is, is, is designing the blades to give the solution that the throughflow is predicting. Gotcha. And, and you have to do that mm-hmm. because you've got, I mean, if you have like 15 and a half stages mm-hmm. linked together and you have designers each working on individual mm-hmm. stages or rotor and stator, they have to, they have to uh, design so that they agree mm-hmm. with each other as, as they're going through. And um, I think with, you know, with, every, um, with every iteration on an engine, they'll push things harder on that, like in terms of, of the um, efficiency targets and these sorts of things on that through flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they still have to be able to then sort of you know, design to match mm-hmm. that. Match that. It's a critical point of reference. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. refers back to that. And those solutions are often used in mechanical calculations. Right. That's what we, have always, we always used when I was doing the, the, the part that held the blade <laughs> yep. uh, was, or transferred the torque down um, was, uh, yeah, off of that, 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 uh, that, 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 that map that we got for mm-hmm. the, that, that section or the whole engine. Um, and we, that's what gave us our... Our speeds and our pressures and things like that, that yeah. would go off of. Yeah, that's it's. it's I never I haven't thought about that in a long time, and it's really critical. I think for people to know that we don't just jump in and model the whole engine. In fact, we don't. We rarely, if ever, model the whole engine in CFD. Uh, I think that's a goal at some point, but it's really you start, you crawl, you rock, and you run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. Um, let's let's talk about the future. So. Um, you know, if you could wave your magic wand uh, without exposing any uh, proprietary information for the future, but I mean, what 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 are what are customers? I guess a better question is, uh, and you, you're a customer, Chris, and 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 Robin, you respond to the customers. What what's what's the big request out there right now in, in turbo machinery CFD? I say for one thing is that thinking about the future, it, it's it's not coming from what customers are requesting. Okay. It, you know, we, we have to look beyond what the customers are asking for to think about, you know, what's what's the reason behind that? Why are they asking for this? Mm-hmm. Do they even need that? Is there something else in the process that has, sort of, you know, they, they painted themselves into a corner mm-hmm. and should we prevent that instead mm-hmm. of... What's, know, what's the problem they're trying to solve? Not, not this is the solution I want, but yeah. what, what are you trying to solve? Yeah. 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 Um, but, I mean, for me, I think... Actually, the future is is um, revisiting a lot of um, things that we handed off to users in the past. Okay. So you know, you go back twenty years, um, and that's a that's a long time for me. Shorter time for Chris. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. Yes, but um, you know, we had uh, in the early earlier days of CFD. Anyway, there we had very experienced users. Yes, and they were happy that you had knowledgeable people writing the CFD codes, and they were happy to take on a lot of the work, other work. Very themselves. valid point. And um, you know, for for re- you know historical reasons, right? These things persist and. Uh, you know, we're at a point now where we're actually looking back and saying, uh, what are some of those things that we've sort of handed off to the user, their responsibility, that we should really just take over now? Um, and uh, so, you know, not to necessarily wave a magic mm-hmm. wand and say, you know, read their mind and give them this, <laughs> but 
make some of the, the things that should be simple, simple. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd say actually a big one of those things is uh, things like material properties and stuff. Good point. Because um, I, I think it's often underestimated how much air comes from the material definition itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and there's, not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of people out there that really understand the materials well. And um, and there's so you know, um, taking over more of that so okay. that the things you know things that um, that, that we could um, sort of automate mm-hmm. or just not have to ask for um, you know really improve it, it'll it not only improves sort of the experience with the code it improves the the engineering that's done with mm-hmm. the code because right. uh, it takes away opportunities for error. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's just one example. There's a lot of other examples yeah. of in the, things in like the process that, that it's just the way we've always done it. And maybe we should be going back and saying why. Yeah, yeah streamlining the process is pretty critical for us because mm-hmm. you know our business is to do designs, mm-hmm. to do them accurately, to mm-hmm. get them right first time. Mm-hmm. And the pressure is always there to mm-hmm. improve the performance. Uh, customers aren't normally willing to pay much more for doing a design, they want more for the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so streamlining the process is, is critical for mm-hmm. us. That has been in the past done very well with meshing tools and mm-hmm. post-processing, but now that the capability is taken in um, multidisciplinary things mm-hmm. such as aero and mechanical interaction, mm-hmm. making those setups easy mm-hmm. for the user, mm-hmm. because in the past it's always been done by an expert, yeah, um, and with the next generation of people coming through, there they want they haven't had that long mm-hmm. background of doing things the hard way. Mm-hmm. So to keep the process quick, you know, I think you have to help them out mm-hmm. and to really take away some of the responsibility for the the young and new user mm-hmm. to to make a mistake that can be criti- quite critical and difficult to spot even afterwards. Yeah, the customer is just not accepting that anymore. Um, yeah, get, I mean, back back in the day, you had time to figure those things out and make those mistakes and deal yeah, with them. That's right. And uh, as an expert, and now it's they want their engineers to hit the ground running. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the problems are are much more complex yeah, now too. They are. Yeah, so we really it, it, it was fine to deal with it when you're dealing simple problems, but mm-hmm. when when it's getting more and more complicated, it, it's it's. I don't even look at it as an ease of use thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's about making mistakes and. Mm-hmm. If we ask a user to, to input information that we could have just filled in ourselves in some right. way based mm-hmm. on what's there, mm-hmm. then we, we eliminate an opportunity for error. Yeah. And from an engineering standpoint, I, I think that's one of the most important mm-hmm. things. Yeah, a good thing that you've taken away, I think, recently from our point of view is things like gas properties, you know, real gases mm-hmm. and handling difficult gases. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be the up to the user to... Right put in some properties, put in a mesh, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that, there's plenty of scope for error there that nobody would really spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's the sort of area, I think, which is best done by uh, somebody in charge of a good algorithm mm-hmm. rather than somebody who doesn't really understand the, the way that the fluid properties work, mm-hmm. particularly for more complex mixtures. Yeah, which is happening now. Yeah. Um, what about, I, I, I'm sure if I had a combustor guy at the table, he would jump all over this question, but what about turbulence? I know that's always been a big deal in CFD. Mm-hmm. For, for modeling the flow path itself, is, are we there where we need to be in turbulence, or do we need to work more on better turbulence models? 
Um, well, we do have very good turbulence models. Of, um, one of the, uh, you look at something like combustor, combustor and they're very interested in, um, in things like large eddy simulation. And, yeah. and, and it's necessary in a combustor because you have um, th those eddies play into uh, the combustion how, how the process physics happens, and stuff. Yeah. But um, large eddy simulation is also, um, that sort of thing is really good for when you have jets of flow that mm -hmm. are interacting. Um, it's not so good when you have wall-bounded flows. Okay. Um, but the other thing is in, in, the, um, in the turbine machinery, mm -hmm. the blade row interaction is actually much more important. That introduces a transient effect mm -hmm. that is um, uh, at, a, at a much sort of longer time scale mm -hmm. than the turbulence and has a bigger effect. So if you look at a passage like in isolation, mm -hmm. you could obsess over what the turbulence model is doing and whether things are separating and all those sorts of things. Um, and you know, people do that, we do that. Yeah. But as soon as you introduce an upstream row mm -hmm. that's with a wake passing and a downstream <laughs> row with a, you know, an upstream pressure, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the turbulence, I mean, it still matters, but it doesn't matter at the same level. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In our business, we, we like the pace. You know, we tend to use turbulence models that we, we've got a lot of experience with. Okay. We don't think it's sort of out of our hands yet. Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's about validation and gaining experience. So we still make use of some of the simpler tools. You know, we, we like SST. Mm -hmm. We still use K-Epsilon for some applications um, where we're trying to get we, we maybe a highly turbulent flow, mm -hmm. lots of three-dimensionality, and maybe things like wall friction are less of an issue than the, the complex nature of the flow. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, simple, simpler turbulence model still does a reasonable job, particularly if you take the trouble to calibrate your experience with it. So I don't, I don't think that's going to go away mm -hmm. from the user for a while. I think you have to accept that you have to build up your own experience mm -hmm. for your own application. And I don't think there's a, a one, one size fits all. Uh, that's why there's so many turbulence models. Yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> they all they are they're all different. That's that's the sometimes the magic on who, who gets the right answer and who doesn't. You know, it's picking those. That's that's really interesting. I never thought about it as uh, as becoming less important as you add in all the other uh, you know non laminar non non uniform flow stuff that's happening in the in the engine. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a really good point. Uh, and like I said, if if we had a combustor person here, he would probably grab the microphone, go to the other side of the room, and start talking to us about <laughs> the importance <laughs> of turbulence because it's really important for them. Um, um, totally out of the uh, totally totally just popped in my head. What do you guys think about electric engines? And how does that how does that fit into? I mean, we can model. Let's not talk about modeling the electric engine part, but. How's that going to change simulation when we're, instead of having a combustor and a turbine, we've got an electric motor on there? Yeah, from the, from the fan and compressor point of view, we don't care much okay. about what's driving <laughs> yeah. it. But okay. from, from the passenger's point of view, I would imagine that it's, it's a long way off yeah. um, electric drive mm -hmm. for propulsion for long range. I for think long range, yeah. There are demonstrators around for general aviation, so mm -hmm. it could happen. But um, I think for... For most of the population that are making long trips, mm -hmm. whether you're on the on the ground or in the air, I think uh, some other form of propulsion, well, some other driver, some other primary driver, will be uh, still around for quite some time yet. It kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier with um, you know with the existing uh, turbofans. You know, you have to um, 
they have to be very efficient because they, you know, you have to reduce the amount of fuel that they're carrying. Right. That fuel is the battery. Right. Yeah. Right. It's all the energy. And the, the challenge with electric motor is there's the weight of the motor, but there's the weight of the batteries. And the, the amount of energy they can carry is just not the same. The density is not the same. And so, um, at least you know, from my perspective, I don't, I don't think we'll see in our lifetime mm-hmm. aircraft, like passenger aircraft, where we're flying with uh, electric engines. Just, uh, I tend to. I mean, the batteries, you have to carry them anyway. Yeah. You know, the fuel load, if it's a, a normal combustion engine, the fuel load reduces as, That's as the thing. journey goes along. The yeah, batteries, but, but at least it gets lighter. It gets lighter as it goes. Whereas carry the battery, it's, it's, it's heavy it's the from same. the start. Yeah. Those electrons, yeah, using up the electrons doesn't reduce the weight any. That's, plus, that's plus a really you have point. to charge them. And you got to charge them as well, which yeah. is kind of inefficient. I, I, yeah. I, it's, it's interesting, and I do think at the small regional size, there's plays there yeah but it you're right at the for big it's hard to beat the efficiency of burning kerosene yeah. it's pretty the weight to energy is is really good and these these devices have been optimized to where the efficiency is pretty high it's pretty hard to yeah. beat that it's a little dangerous though to say never in our lifetime i, I remember I, sitting on the panel once and somebody <laughs> said uh, how about optimization will optimization replace the designers and, and i said Rather foolishly, not in my lifetime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well now it's on record. No, yeah, now it's on the record. So, yeah. so when 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 you're uh, visiting your great grandkids and you get into your electric Boeing uh, to go from uh, Toronto to wherever they've lived, lived someplace else, and maybe let's say Vancouver, um, you can say, ah, it was in my lifetime. But we'll see. I think there's some technology breakthroughs, especially in the battery side, that need to happen before that's gonna turn into something. Yeah, yeah. My wife keeps pushing me to uh, to develop a teleportation device. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then we don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it needs simulation though, so yeah. we'll still have a job. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. But I mean, the other challenge there is that, that um, you know, with the electrification and stuff, is that you still have to generate the power somewhere. Oh. It has to come from somewhere. Which may be a gas turbine. Which could be a gas turbine and, and um, yeah, it's much, it's very likely to be mm-hmm. that or mm-hmm. Or steam turbine connected to nuclear power or gas turbines, what yeah. have you. Yeah, that's true. Or 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 even some solar plants, you know, generating the, the energy or a wind turbine, which is you know basically a piece of turbine machinery. It's mm. Just only one stage. Um, that's a really valid point. We and we, because of my background and bias, I think yours as well. We're really focusing on propulsion engines, but you know, ground generation uh, with the with it's a it's a the fracking has caused natural gas prices to go way down and I don't know if you guys have seen it but we've seen this huge boost in the use of natural gas and gas turbines mm-hmm. to generate power. Um, you guys yeah. seen that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. particularly in, in developing areas you know, mm-hmm. such as China. It's a big okay. deal to have mm-hmm. gas turbines and clean power. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, from our perspective we, we see gas turbines mm-hmm. have a long life mm-hmm. yet you know, and it will be around for for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Is there anything different in the, the simulation when it's a ground-based natural gas-powered versus a kerosene aircraft? Well, if the combustion guy was here, he'd have something to say, say about that. that. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, so, They're all in sessions right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> but for, yeah, from the turbo machinery point of view, uh-huh. uh, if it's on the ground, obviously it's a, a different challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's, the challenge is high efficiency. There's not but then it doesn't have to get off the ground. So the weight issues are not Yeah, the weight's not such a big deal. But um, 
So more stages, is that a valid statement generally? Well, I think you, you could deploy more stages in that way. I think the aero engines have gone in, in the direction of maintaining efficiency but reducing the number of stages. Mm -hmm. Ground-based turbines are going to be much bigger, larger diameter. Okay. Um, we typically have a lot more blades. Mm -hmm. The blades can be very heavy. Okay. Right? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of restrictions that are taken away from, yeah. from, from the ground base. So more design freedom for optimizing that design. Yeah. The other thing with the ground base is that they run at a constant speed. Oh, I forgot about that. connected yeah. to yeah. a motor that's mm -hmm. connected to the grid. Mm -hmm. So they have, they, they effectively have one operating point mm -hmm. that they stick to. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's different loads on it, but it's the same speed. Yeah, and they still have the challenges. They have to start up, shut down, mm -hmm. and have some degree of operability. But yeah, you're right. They just sit at one speed normally mm -hmm. uh, in the end. And less cycles, right? I mean, they, they turn on and run for days, weeks, months, maybe years before yeah. they shut them down. Whereas, yeah. you know, on a, on a propulsion engine, it's you know, maybe 14, 15 hours and they shut it down. But in, in recent years, they've had more challenges in terms of, of the variable loads because, um, mm -hmm. because of connecting uh, solar and, and wind to the okay. grid. And on, in, in areas where um, a large portion of the power is provided by gas turbines, they have to be able to, to handle fluctuations um, in the load more because of those. Yeah. So um, when the which actually out, reduces yeah. the efficiency okay. of yeah. the turbine. Of the turbine. <laughs> it's interesting. The gas turbine. There's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some big masses involved and big thermal masses as well. Mm -hmm. So being able to start up and shut mm -hmm. down in reasonably quick, mm -hmm. I think is pretty critical. And so I think there's quite a lot of um, analysis involved in that from the point of view of developing a design. Yeah. The, the, the gas turbines as well, like in a power plant, mm -hmm. um, they're not, they don't work in isolation. So they, they are the first part of a whole multi-stage power generation system. They, the hot air coming out of the turbine mm -hmm. um, boils water, and then that runs through steam turbines. And now there's a lot of attention into like, there's there's hot water that comes out of that that you know can't be it's sort of waste heat yes but um, but now there's there's a lot of attention on um, CO2 supercritical okay. CO2 cycles where um, you can boil carbon dioxide in a closed okay. cycle uh -huh. right and at, at relatively low temperatures right around 40 degrees and so then they can extract more and more so so these like, when you look at um, we talk about gas turbines in a power plant. It's not just that alone. It's mm -hmm. the, the whole the power plant as a whole is actually very efficient because mm -hmm. of these multiple all these stages. other things. Yeah. So and and each of those requires simulation of all various different kinds. It's slightly different, right? Yeah. The the steam turbine guys uh, look at things differently than at least the hot section than, than we do on the. Uh, they have different problems. Totally different problems. Yeah, yeah. And the, my my thermodynamics class was thirty six years ago, so I don't remember what those problems are. But I just remember a really funky looking graph that uh, had this cycle on it. But uh, um, okay, so we we as as I expected, we went longer than than we planned. It's a we do talk about a little over half an hour. So uh, let's wrap it up with um, two things. Um, first one is. We have a lot of students that listen to the podcast that might be interested in simulation. What, uh, yeah, Chris, what's your what's your advice for a for a student that wants to get into simulation? What, what words of wisdom would you pass on to them? Um, I think take care about validation. Okay. Build up your experience slowly. Don't mm -hmm. start with the biggest and most difficult problem. Mm -hmm. um, start off with 
things that you could even do analytically. Okay. And look at, look around in in the literature. There's a massive amount of literature with test cases in it, mm -hmm. and build up experience slowly with that. I think I think that would be my advice. I mean, don't try to start at the the mm -hmm. top end of the mm -hmm. um, capability. Good point. Yeah, I'd say something similar in that. Um, don't look at the simulation as being, say, the last word. Mm -hmm. There's still plenty of error, mm -hmm. right? And while you know, um, we, we do what we can to sort of improve the accuracy of the codes, the vast majority of the error comes from the definition of the problem itself, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So the geometry that you use, the boundary conditions, and... Um, uh, you know, when you when you step away and just look at things, you know, from afar, it, it, they all look like very simple 1D systems or 2D systems. Mm -hmm. So, first principles are always important. Mm -hmm. It's always important to be able to step back and, and look at the problem and say, what do I expect it to actually do? And uh, and you know, I, I I did support for a number of years and I still do um, internal support and I'd say the vast majority. Of, of problems that come in as, as that appear to be problems with the code mm -hmm. turn out be, that it's because somebody defined something that was unphysical or they expected something that couldn't happen physically mm -hmm. but it, it, it easily gets lost in the complexity of the analysis you, and you think you think the CFD <coughs> code is going to do everything for you mm -hmm. yeah. and you forget to ask am I, am I even setting up the right problem yeah I think that's good advice and pulling out data uh, post-processing and getting back to the first principles, you know, the, the things that students have been taught in lectures mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. velocity triangles and mm -hmm. loading parameters, those are all really valid. Yeah. So maybe, maybe pop into Excel and do some vector yeah, exactly. diagrams and, yeah. and figure this out before you, you design a 15-stage uh, <laughs> natural gas compressor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd say to <laughs> present the work that you do with confidence, mm -hmm. but question everything you do, yeah. assume that you're wrong. Because you guarantee you will be wrong in some way, and you'll never find it if you think you're right. I, I learned that lesson early in my career. I, I, we, we, it started kind of a, a joke. I didn't realize it was a meme, but it was a meme back then. Um, we were all young engineers straight out of college. ANSYS as a 3D simulation tool was new in the turbo machinery industry. We were working at what's now Honeywell. And the answer was wrong. And we would say, I found a bug in ANSYS. And it became kind of this thing where I found a bug in ANSYS and we'd call up the tech support providers and, and they would work through, no, it's exactly what Robin was talking about. I screwed up. I just, and, and, and as we grew as a group to support the rest of the company as they started doing more simulation, it kind of became a joke because we'd get the call, I found a bug in ANSYS and we'd have to look back and realize that, you know, 90% of the time it was a poorly, ill-conceived Ill problem or poorly, poorly uh, built model. Uh, there, there were more bugs back then, but it was rare that we found them. <laughs> and nowadays, we can blame the data. It's the yes. measurements. The yes. measurements are in error. It's a measurement guy's problem. Yes. Yeah. That's why it's, like it's everybody's problem. I think <laughs> the measurements have got some errors. The CFD's got some errors. I think it's up to the users and, uh, to, to back out the, mm -hmm. the detail and try to understand physically what's going on. As Robin says, don't just trust the mm -hmm. CFD. Question everything. It's really good. And it's interesting you both said the things you said because I asked that question across industries across I was talking to a guy that's an HFSS user uh, last week exact same answer um, and I think it's something the universities aren't uh, emphasizing he was a younger guy who didn't he had to find out the hard way 
that what you're saying is true. Um, he jumped right in and was going to model these antennas and realize that, you know, it's really hard and you got to start with a hand calc and, and work your way up. And, and, and then I think your point of question everything is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, uh, our ability to justify a wrong answer is amazing. <laughs> I've come up with some real doozies in my career. All right. Well, that's really cool. I, we go on and on and on. Um, uh, let's finish up by, uh, uh, tell me something about PCA that you want our listeners to know that they may not know about your company. Um, well, I think I'd like them to know that we're, we're out there. Mm -hmm. We're UK based. Mm -hmm. We're an independent consultancy. We, we tackle a very wide range of problems. We've been talking here mainly about aero engine gas turbines. Great. We get involved in medical applications. Great. Uh, we get involved in anything that has rotating machinery in there. Uh, we're quite outward facing. We like to share our experiences and we're quite happy mm -hmm. to bring people along with the new technologies and transfer technology. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're out there. You can find us in the UK. Great. Where there's fewer competition. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and the website is pcaeng.co.uk, or you can just uh, use your favorite search engine for PCA engineers. And uh, um, I don't think, Robin, you need to tell us about ANSYS, uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, what, what uh, you want our listeners to know about what, what you and your team are doing to advance turbo machinery simulation. That's a good one. Um, well, I mean, we're working on a lot of things right now that um, not so much about, uh, like none of the things we're working on about, we're with now are really about physics. Mm -hmm. Again, it's like I was saying earlier about um, sort of eliminating things that, that users shouldn't need to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so from a term machinery standpoint, some of the, the uh, sort of new capabilities and things that we're, you know, we'll continue to grow with are performance maps. Nice. So no longer having to sort of script to get a performance map, but, but even beyond that, being able to, to you know, have to follow a speed line, you can run, run at constant speed and different flow rates, you can run sort of an unstructured mm. uh, map and will generate contours, which are essentially your speed lines and stuff. Um, another one is the um, these injection regions where, mm. um, you know, in a world where, where it's, it seems like everybody's going for more and more complex, we realize that the vast majority of the work done is at these coarse grid levels. You have mm -hmm. to you have to be able to turn things around quickly for design. So we we, we have a new method for um, modeling things with blade film cooling, where mm -hmm. you have a virtual boundary condition. You don't have to mesh it. It it yeah. modeling all those little holes a pain in the butt. So, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can be easily automated. Mm -hmm. And but I think one of the most exciting ones is actually this um, FMI connection. Mm. Um, so functional mock-up interface is something that came out of the automotive industry in, in Europe, but um, it allows, it was designed to allow system codes um, to sort of uh, participate together, do co-simulation okay. by import, you know, one system code can write out the ent their entire system as an FMU, and you can bring it into another system code to incorporate it. And of course, in automotive, they need this right. you know, for, for all the components yeah. that come together. Um, but CFX now lets you import an FMU in CFX, okay. and it comes in as a as a CEL function. Which mm -hmm. if you use CFX, you know yeah. that every input is a C is CEL, mm -hmm. and so you can now connect, um, or you can have an entire system mm -hmm. providing, say, the inputs for your boundary conditions. So going back to where the mm -hmm. errors come from, right. 
more at the boundaries. We have to make some sort of engineering judgment there. The system that's upstream, mm -hmm. and particularly in transient calculations, mm -hmm. has a response of its own. Mm -hmm. And when you don't include that, you don't see things that are going to Very occur. Good. So it's like a reduced order, what we on the mechanical side we call a reduced order model, but probably more sophisticated. It, well, it is a reduced it order is a model. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. Okay. Very cool. Um, probably lots more as well. Um, uh, th th great stuff. And the problem with this podcast is I just want to keep talking about the stuff. And maybe we can have you guys on again in a little bit and we'll see uh, what's going on new and different. But I really appreciate your time. I welcome you both to Phoenix. I hope you don't melt. Um, you know, why they decided to have the, I know why they decided that conference in June in Phoenix is it's really cheap to run our convention center this time of year, but uh, I hope you guys enjoy your stay here and we hope to see you guys. I, I guess next year the gas turbine conference is in your uh, neck of the woods, right? Yes, it's it is in London, London, UK. Okay. It's yeah. a nice place to visit. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't like to live there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those cities where if you're very wealthy, it's a very nice place, but exactly. otherwise it's exactly. a nice place to visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good. So, so hopefully we'll see uh, you folks there and... Uh, well, maybe maybe if I make it out there, we'll do this again uh, in England. So uh, thanks a lot for coming and joining me. Uh, I've been talking with Chris Robinson from PCA Engineers and Robin Steed from ANSYS Inc. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. That was really fantastic. Uh, I think we could have gone on for another hour if given the time. Uh, we all had to get back downstairs into the booth and we were wondering if we'd be a little boring if we went on too long. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, I had a great time. I learned a lot and there were some great discussions in there, even though we went off on a few tangents on uh, electric uh, engines, but uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I really want to thank both of them for giving us the time to talk and share their opinion. Um, we're, we're really happy. We kept on waiting for security to come around the corner and start yelling at us to get the hell out of there, but uh, it didn't happen. And um, because it went so well, we hope to do more live recordings like this um, instead of having people go on Skype or go into our office. Uh, anytime we're in an event, we'll try and try and do something like this where we've got this kind of caliber of people around. We might as well get them together talking. So thank you very much. We really enjoyed that. Let's pause for a commercial break. Uh, we'll talk about how we love here at PADT to write customized applications, add-ons, vertical apps, plugins, whatever you want to call it. We like to write code around ANSYS products. Hi there. Eric Miller here to talk in a little more detail about a topic we bring up a lot in these podcasts, customizing ANSYS products to automate processes or add functionality. A significant portion of PADT's consulting work in the simulation world is working with customers to write custom software that sits on top of, or even inside, various ANSYS products. These programs can connect a legacy solver, import proprietary boundary conditions, or implement a new material model or custom fluid behavior. But most of the time, we work to write vertical applications that automate and standardize a specific customer simulation process. From chip packaging to family of parts simulation to turbine wheel geometry optimization, we can work with your team to provide productivity improvements that can make things up to 10 times faster than the current process. To learn more, contact us at info at padtinc.com or call 480-813-4884 and ask about ANSYS customization and automation. A little bit of programming can create an order of magnitude change in productivity. Okay, because the uh, interview went so long, we're going to keep the rest of this podcast very short. 
Uh, News-wise, I'm only going to talk about one thing, which is the Yancey stock price. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday, June 24th in the evening, and the stock is sitting at $201.39. So it not only popped over 200 for a while, it actually hit 208.56 at some point last week. I couldn't figure out if it was Wednesday or Thursday, but anyway, it was quite high. Um, so if we look at year to date from January 1 to today, Monday, June 24th, ANSYS stock is up 46% and the S&P 500 is up only 20%. So once again, strongly outperforming. It's fantastic to see. Um, there's nothing critical in ANSYS news worth uh, talking about. We'll cover the, the stuff that happened uh, when we talk on the next podcast in two weeks. Same for the blogs. We'll catch up on those then. The only event I want to talk about is that PADT is hosting a webinar on July 3rd. And this is our part of our series of updates on the ANSYS 2000 release, R2 release, 2019 R2 release, I should say. Um, and on July 3rd, we're going to be talking about fluids. So if you're a CFD user and you want to know what's new um, in ANSYS 2019 R2, we'll be doing a webinar on that July 3rd. Again, as always, you go to brighttalk.com, search for PADT. You will find all of our old and new recordings. And again, you don't have to listen to it live. Just register and you can listen to it at any time you want. So that is it for us. I want to thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again from the bottom of my heart uh, for Robin and Chris to, to joining me to nerd out and talk about this stuff. It was really, really enjoyable. Um, two great guys. And uh, don't forget to subscribe for more conversations like that at uh, www.padtinc.com slash opt-in. You'll get our newsletter and find out everything we're talking about. And get out there and spread the word and invite more people to our podcast. joining us for the All Things Answers podcast, episode number 40. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with Ansys Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com slash blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com.